Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. Let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of Saturday Morning Rewind. I am, of course, your host, Tim Nidell. You can find me online. It's at Saturday Rewind. Or my personal profile is at Tim underscore Nidell. Man, I can't believe I really slacked past couple months and uh, didn't release an episode at all last month. I do have an excuse. I did break my hand, my right hand at that last month and uh, editing is a pain in the hand <laughs> and uh, just can't really do much with it and left-handed editing and it's just not... It's not that fun. It's not fun at all. I do have some episodes to get out, but that's going to have to wait just a little bit. And uh, this episode I was supposed to have out last month to help promote a book. So I'm releasing it now because his book is definitely still out there to buy and it's doing pretty well on Amazon. The book is called Built to Fail, The Inside Story of Blockbuster's Inevitable Bust. And I have the author, Alan Payne, on the episode today. Alan, for many years, I think he said 25 years, he was a blockbuster franchisee, which means he ran them. And uh, as you may know, there's only one more left anywhere, and that's in Bend, Oregon. Now, Alan does, does not own that one, but he did own the two up in Alaska, which were the last ones to close. He also had stores in Texas, I believe. Great guy. Great stories to tell, man. If you really want to know about Blockbuster, this interview is for you, and this book is definitely for you because we don't even touch the surface of this book. There's so much more that we couldn't go through because I honestly didn't want to give everything away that he had in the book. So I highly recommend this book to anybody who is interested in Blockbuster, in business, because if you guys are like me, and I think a lot of you are, you grew up in the 80s and 90s, and you went to Blockbuster every Friday like I did as a teenager. I spent hours in there almost every Friday trying to pick out a movie. I loved going to that place, so it was great talking to Alan, had a great time, and I do recommend his book, Built to Fail. Now, like I said, it is available on Amazon. He's got a Kindle version on there. Uh, it looks like it's $6.49 right now. Hardcover for 30 bucks, paperback for 16 bucks. It's a good read. I recommend picking it up. And of course, before I play the interview, thank you so much to my continued Patreon supporters, Mike Clemens, Gemma Bright, Tori Garvin, Alan, and Chris. You guys are rock stars. I love you. And if you're listening and you're wondering, hey, how can I get my name mentioned on the show? Well, just go over to the website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Click on the donation tab and you can read all about it. Donations start at only 2 bucks a month, and it really helps the channel out. So, alright, let's go back in time, shall we? Let's go back to the 80s and 90s on a Friday night to Blockbuster and uh, listen to my interview with Alan Payne. 
it's funny. I was talking to somebody the other day who was younger than you. I was trying to explain to him what a VCR was. Wow. Yeah, it was his early twenties, and uh, uh, he did, he honestly did not know what a what a VHS cassette <laughs> was. So you, we were we were a little bit dated. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 41, so I, I grew up in that era. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's crazy. Even, even my kids know what a VCR is. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I was trying to explain it to him. I don't think he ever quite understood. Yeah. We used to have this little thing that you stuck in a, <laughs> this clunky machine. Yeah. And sometimes a full movie wouldn't even fit on a one VHS. You had to have it on two different VHSs and flip it out. Yeah. In fact, through. that was particularly the case with beta, you know, because uh -huh. uh, beta was, a, was evidently they, those tapes couldn't hold as much. So, yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> those were the days, huh? Yes, they were, but, man. But but you remember them for sure. I was a hundred percent an eighties kid, so yeah. I I I don't remember the first time I went to Blockbuster. I was living in Reno, so I don't know when they came to be in Reno. I do remember vividly; it would have been the early nineties for sure. I remember going to Blockbuster, but video yeah. stores I went there all the time. It really took. I guess it took until the mid nineties before they were kind of everywhere. One of the most interesting parts of the story from my perspective is that, that uh, blockbuster was never worth more than they were in 1994. Wow. <laughs> you know, one of the big motivations for me writing the book was it, you know, not only was it such a huge part of my life, but yeah. it was, but the story I don't think has been told with very much accuracy. It, it really was not the Netflix that we know today. That's, that did blockbuster yeah. in because I, I I totally thought that was it. I thought it was the digital era, what what screwed them over. Yeah, it's easy for you know looking back to blend all that together, but but uh, Netflix did not stream a movie until two thousand seven, and, and really it wasn't didn't become it wasn't a significant part of their business until a few years after that. And by then, blockbuster was already done. Yeah. And how crazy is it that they had the chance to buy Netflix? Oh, I know, I know, yeah. Do you think the whole story would be completely different nowadays if they bought it, or would they have still messed it up? Well, if, you know, the deal was is that there's that uh, Reed Hastings wanted to literally go to work for him. He wanted to be their partner. Oh, wow. So had they had the wisdom to let Reed and his team uh, who also included Ted Sarandos at the time, if if uh, if he would have allowed them to do their thing, yeah, it could be it'd be the same thing. I assume if they'd allowed them independence. But, yeah, uh, yeah. If Blockbuster would have done it. There's really no evidence that I can see that they would have done much with it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. All right. So before we continue on about your upcoming book, tell me more about yourself and how you got involved with Blockbuster. Uh, it, it, you know, I got into it in kind of an unconventional way because back in the eighties, I was in the grocery store business. Wow. Uh, I worked for a company called HEB. Have you ever heard of HEB? I think I've seen the initials. So I, yeah, if, I think I if have. you've never lived in Texas, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're a huge company. They're a $27 billion company. Uh, that's their annuals by sales. And, um, they, they really dominate Texas in the grocery industry. And, you know, as the, as the video business was really getting rolling back in the eighties, they decided to get in the business. 
most grocery stores back then, as you probably remember, had video departments in the yep. stores. Yeah. HEB did also, but what they did is they took it a step further and decided that since they owned a lot of real estate and Blockbuster was trying to lease sites from them, they decided, well, we'll just do it ourselves. So we actually opened uh, 35 freestanding video stores that were called Video Central. And, and they put me in charge of, uh, of running the operations of those stores. We were very, very successful against Blockbuster. We competed, most of those 35 stores competed with Blockbuster. Hmm. So I learned this, I learned the business from the other side. I learned it through the eyes of, of a grocery <laughs> company. Uh, much more competitive, much more detail-oriented, much more in fear of a, of a competitor, you know, doing something before you did it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I learned the business. Uh, and we were doing very, very well, but unfortunately, HEB decided they didn't want to continue to grow the business, wanted to focus on uh, just the food business, and they decided to sell the stores. So that's when I left and wound up with a Blockbuster uh, franchise that, that owns stores in Texas and Alaska. And this was kind of a fork in the road thing because the company that wound up buying those video central stores was none other than Hollywood video. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember Hollywood? Video? I do. I do actually. Okay. They eventually became a 2000 store chain and were really blockbusters only national competition. Well, they got their start by buying our stores, hmm. uh, at HEB. Uh, they only had about 10 stores at the time and we had 35, uh, and, and they had largely copied our business model. Uh, and so anyway, the, the long story short is that Hollywood video within just a couple of years had over 500 stores. They, they went public, um, became blockbusters first real competitor. And within just a few years had, 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 had created a real financial problem for Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. They, were in, they were in financial difficulty by 1996, just a couple of years after Hollywood bought our stores. And then I, and all that time I was with Blockbuster. Uh, so that, that, was a, that was one of those forks in the road that, uh, you know, the, the, the story of Blockbuster not buying Netflix was obviously a really big deal. Later on, they had opportunities to buy into the kiosk business and they missed that too. But really, if you go way, way back, they missed out on the opportunity to buy the, buy the chain that turned out to be their largest bricks and mortar competitor yeah. as well. So anyway, that's how I wound up in the business. I, 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 didn't, I didn't buy into the business the way most people did back then. Uh, it was an extremely profitable business when run right, but I didn't get a chance to become a store owner until 2000. And the company that I went to work for to run their their franchise stores decided they were going to sell the stores. And in uh, 2000, I, I put the money together and bought those 25 stores, and we eventually built it up to over 40 stores. So you would have been one of the ones. I read most of the book. You would have been one of the ones that actually lost money because of the. Uh bankruptcy and everything then? Well, we ran our business profitably for, uh, you know, until we closed the last store in 2018. Okay. But obviously we think it was a premature closing because we think had we, had we not been fighting blockbuster all along the way, 
and all the bad press that they were getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think we would have we would have we would have stayed open much longer than we did. Uh, how long I don't know because yeah. obviously the business was going to change dramatically. But uh, you know, we still were doing a lot of business in those stores when we eventually closed them in 2018. Yeah, because you said you were doing the uh, Alaska one. That one was the last one to close, wasn't it? Besides the uh, Bend, Oregon one. That's still running. Yeah, yeah. Well, the when we closed those two store, the two last stores in in Alaska, that left uh, Ken Tisher, who owns that store in in Bend, that left him as the last store. Yeah, I'm still trying to make it up there to to Bend. I'm not too far. I'm about <laughs> I'm about 13 hour drives. So I, I need to make it one day because I just want to experience it one one more time. It's a it's a well. The great thing about Bend is it's a beautiful city. It's a great mm-hmm. place to visit. So. Uh, there's other reasons to go there other than Blockbuster. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, for the listeners out there that aren't quite familiar with the 80s and 90s video store experience, can you kind of paint a picture of, of what it was kind of like back during those decades? You know, what I've learned in talking to people about this book is, is a lot of people don't remember the day that you could not watch a, a movie or a TV show anytime you wanted to. Yep. Uh, so you really have to put the whole story in context and that's what that's what created the mania and it was around video stores of the 80s Uh, when a video store opened in a neighborhood it was an event because it would it would have been the first time anyone could actually watch a movie anytime they wanted to and that's Mm -hmm. that seems so yesterday now but that was the case so you can imagine how how free people felt walking into a video store and be able to pick basically anything they wanted to see yeah. and take it home and watch it. And I mean, it sounds crazy, but that was a really, really big deal in 1987 when we opened our first store. And it's why people were willing to come in and put up with the enormous crowds, the, the <laughs> chaos of the whole thing. And sometimes because we weren't very good at it in those early years, none of us, I, I don't think, were prepared for the, for the volume that these stores were doing. It was not unusual for somebody to come in and wait up to an hour to check out because it would take, you know, our systems weren't built for it. We, we hadn't really figured out how to get that many customers out of the store quickly yet. We were still learning. The product was in such demand that people were happy to wait. Uh, and eventually we got it figured out, you know, and we, and, and, and improved it a lot. But those first few stores back in the, in the mid late eighties, it was, it was chaos, but it was fun chaos. Yeah. You know, people were discovering something that was new and they were willing to put up with a little inconvenience to get to go home and watch a movie when they wanted to. It was, it was unbelievable really. I, I remember spending, I think it was a minimum of at least hour and a half on Friday nights to get a movie, a minimum. Yeah. And for the most part, people enjoyed it. I did. I, I really do. I, I remember just strolling down. Because when I watch Netflix or any kind of streaming service, the satisfa- satisfaction I get from picking a movie isn't a- at all the same as it was walking down those aisles, flipping back the, the covers, looking, reading the, you know who, what actors are in there. Yeah. I don't get the satisfaction just streaming it. And often I get bored with the movie. Because I'm not invested in the streaming side of, of movies, but renting videos, man, I was all about it every Friday night when I was a teenager. Well, the great thing is, is everything was there mm-hmm. where now you'd have to subscribe to yep. at least three or four different <laughs> streaming services to get everything. Uh-huh. 
where then it, there was it was it was systematic you know every tuesday the new releases showed up yeah and we were and you know that's what that's what drew people to the stores it had more of the uh, older classics right. like back to the future out there and of course a lot of the stores had that back room blocked off by the curtain <laughs> oh yeah yeah now blockbuster never did that but, nope but, nope but uh, yeah yeah it was that was a that was a big part of the business now tell me more about the uh, book built to fail tell me about that book uh built to fail started coming together about three years ago as uh when we were we were starting to we we could we knew that we weren't going to last much longer. And I, and I, I guess it was around sometime in 2015 or 16 that, that I started thinking about the whole idea of, of writing it. And a lot of it had to do with uh, just the amount of attention we were getting because those last few years, we were the only ones left mm -hmm. along with, along with uh, Ken and Ben Dorgan. So, you know, I was getting, I was getting phone calls from, you know, major media all the time wanting to know what it was like to still be in the blockbuster business. So I think it was just kind of a natural process to get to the point where, okay, I'm the last one in it. Uh, it's been a, it's been a huge deal to me. I've been in the business for 31 years. And then I started thinking about, you know, well, everybody seems to think that Netflix streaming is what killed blockbuster that mm -hmm. I know that's not true. Uh, the problems went way back into the nineties. Uh, Blockbuster was a cash flow poor company in 1997, struggling to survive. Um, and that was because of the DVDs, right? No, not yet. Uh, DVDs were okay. just released that year. It was, it was Blockbuster was in trouble financially in VHS days, primarily because of Hollywood video mm. and because of overbuilding. Uh, they built too many stores. Uh, and as I point out, out in the book, my opinion is about the only thing Blockbuster ever really did well was open stores faster than everybody else. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't run them particularly well. Back in the nineties, people thought they were well run because they were better than most, but, but they were, they were easily beaten. And we had shown that when I was running the stores at HEB, they really, they were not taking advantage of the tremendous benefits that video brought to people. Uh, they were, they were founded by one of the great entrepreneurs in American history, Wayne Heisinger, who also built a waste management and automation. Yeah, I read that in the book, and I was I was just amazed at how I never knew that. Yeah, I mean, he there. There's no question Wayne Heisinger was a genius when it came to building companies so fast that he he would leave everybody else in his dust. But he built organizations that didn't really have a whole lot of interest in how the business worked. And it's what amazed me when I left a grocery company to come to Blockbuster and found that, you know, we were doing we were running the business in much, much more detail than Blockbuster ever contemplated. Hmm. And uh, so all that all that built to you know all those years of us running a business in our franchise stores it was completely different than what blockbuster was doing and that's why we lasted so long we didn't run the business the way they did mm -hmm. and uh, we kept customers engaged many many more years than blockbuster did by doing it differently and uh, i just wanted to tell that story uh, and and really i didn't know how i was going to tell it because i didn't know exactly what 
you know, I had to really think about what, what people might be most interested in. So it took a long time to kind of put it all together. Yeah. But once it, once it, once the ideas kind of came together, uh, it was actually really fun to write. And because <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was fun to put the pieces together and figure out, okay, well, this is what happened. In some cases, I don't really know why it happened because some of the decisions they made made no sense at all. Uh, but, uh, but I do, I do think I've got a pretty good understanding of what happened. And that's, and that's what's in the book. Sweet. Yeah, like I said, I finished, I think, about half of it. And I'm definitely going to finish the whole thing because Blockbuster is something that I held near to my heart. Like I said, almost every Friday I was there either getting a video game or a movie. And yeah. it's, it's fascinating to, to hear what happened because I, like many other people, I was clueless on what truly happened. That was the frustrating part to me. And, and uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I think sometimes Blockbuster was clueless too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there, were, there were things that they did that just, uh, it, it was, and you're halfway through the book, you're, mm -hmm. you're not to the really good stuff yet. <laughs> it, it, no spoilers, gets, no spoilers. It gets, it gets more interesting. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, People ask me how long, how we lasted so long. And, and, uh, you know, the truth is, is that pretty much everything that Blockbuster believed about the business, we believed the opposite. Uh, that's how we ran things. And the good thing is, is as a franchisee, we had the Blockbuster brand uh, to protect. But in terms of the inventory and the pricing and the terms and all those kind of things, we made our own decisions on that. So Blockbuster in our markets was largely what we made it, not what they made it. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we, ran, we ran our own advertising, uh, set all of our own pricing, managed wow. our own inventories completely different than they did. You know, it might be a good time to talk about what Netflix, how Netflix did it to Blockbuster because, you know, most, what we were talking a while ago, most people think streaming did it. Well, yeah. what, what, what the Netflix that, that, and they weren't the only ones. There were other competitors that were, were that were handing it to Blockbuster, but Netflix became the largest at that time. Um, they built a business off of renting old movies to people, and they knew they had to do it that way because their system of mailing DVDs to people was very inefficient. In the, in the new release business anyway, mm -hmm. because new releases, the life of a new release was just, it was less than a month for the most part. And uh, they couldn't make the economics of that work because DVDs would be in the mail and in warehouses too long. Mm -hmm. So they decided early on that they had to figure out a way to get people to want to watch old movies. That's exactly what they did. And over 80% of every, every DVD Netflix ever mailed somebody was something that was old. Huh. Blockbuster was the exact opposite. They had built their business almost exclusively on new releases. So they never really understood what Netflix was doing to oh, them. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's, it's why we understood the business better then because we had always believed that, that, that a Blockbuster store should be much more about new releases, where Blockbuster... In the early 2000s, 90% of what they rented was a new release. In one of our Blockbuster stores, it was only about 50% of what was renting was a new release. So the, 
the, the experience of a customer coming into one of our Blockbuster stores versus a corporately owned Blockbuster store was completely different. Uh, people came in to shop the entire store. And in fact, in a lot, a lot of stores that we rented more, much more uh, catalog than we did new releases. So we just looked at the business completely differently. And that's why, uh, you know, Netflix didn't have near the impact on us that they did on Blockbuster. We made a point to have everything that of the older of older movies that our customers wanted. We didn't have we didn't have everything like Netflix did, but we had everything a customer ever asked for. <laughs> so there, there was there was it was not unusual for one of our stores to have well over twenty thousand pieces of catalog in the store, where Blockbuster would be four or five thousand at the most. We in fact we had a we had a store in Alaska that had over thirty thousand in it. Oh my God. And, and we would, we would give those numbers to Blockbuster and they would think we were nuts. But the thing is we were <laughs> renting that those movies were renting over 10,000 times a week. It, the economics all made sense to us. And most of those, most of those movies were very inexpensive. You could buy them for seven, $8, most of them. Now, did you ever try to like talk to somebody higher up and like try to tell them what you were doing different and how it was working better for you? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> All the time, but uh, I like to say, you know, we had a, we had a, I think most franchisees, including myself, we always had a, a cordial relationship with Blockbuster management, but that's as far as it went. They would, you know, I disagreed with them on just about everything that they did. And, and, and I think they would agree too, that it, it was never personal. It was never a, a personal fight or anything. It was just that they saw it differently than we did. So yeah, I, I constantly uh, tried to get them convinced that there was another way to look at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, it, I never succeeded. I never succeeded. In fact, I, th I think I, it would be, well, I don't think I know it's true. They never even really studied what we did. So I would tell them the kind of the top line numbers and what was happening uh, and how we were doing it. But that's about as far as the conversation would go. Hmm. They, they never took uh, an in-depth in interest in understanding what we were doing. And I think a lot of it was because our approach was so foreign to their way of thinking yeah. that they just couldn't wrap their head around it. Yeah. Scared of change or something. I don't know. I think it was just a lack of curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, and that uh, I guess the disappointing thing to me is that, you know, we talked about Heisinger earlier. He was such a genius in terms of building companies, uh, but he left in 1994. Well, that was more than a decade before Netflix ever streamed the movie. So there was ample opportunity for, for the, the, the management after Heisinger to correct that culture of, uh, you know, let's just grow and build stores. We've already got this figured out. Yeah. We're not, we're not worried about what anybody else is doing. If we open stores faster than everybody else, we'll win. Well, that was the, that was the blockbuster approach to the business for its first decade. Unfortunately, by the time you get to the late nineties, opening stores was not the answer because the business was relatively flat by then. It never really grew much past 1998, 1999. That was the peak. It grew a little bit when DVD came along into the early 2000s, but but not enough to be opening a thousand stores every mm -hmm. year. 
So what happened is that Blockbuster kept opening stores in, a, in an industry that was relatively flat. And, and everybody knew it was flat. It wasn't. A, and, and nobody really thought it was going to grow very much because we knew that electronic delivery of some type was coming down the line. Yeah. We didn't know what it was going to be. Nobody, nobody saw Netflix coming. Everybody thought it would be a telephone company or a cable company yep. or somebody like that that would figure out how to, how to move people from video stores to, to uh, the Internet. Uh, it turned out to be Reed Hastings. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he, fi- he figured out things that the, that the media companies and the studios never figured out. So I'm in Montana now, and we, we used to have a store called Hastings. He didn't create Hastings, did he? No, no. Okay. Hastings was actually owned by 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 a, a family in Amarillo, Texas. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 H- Hastings was a Hastings carved out a really good niche in smaller towns. Yep. Uh, by selling music and 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 renting videos and selling books as well, and uh, it was kind of a, a, a all all entertainment kind of store. Yeah. That, that uh, did very well in smaller markets. Yeah, I loved, yeah they weren't I loved related at all. I loved going there. I even worked there for one summer when I lived in Bozeman, Montana. It was another yeah. great, another great yeah. store. So yeah, um, built to fail. When when is the book coming out again? Uh, the official launch day is March the 9th. March 9th. Okay. March the 9th. I got my first copies in the in the mail today, <laughs> so I'm pretty excited. I'm actually yeah. I'm actually holding one in my hand. It's a, oh man, nice for someone that's never written a book. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I would recommend that you do it. But because it's a it's a big job, but uh, it's it's been real gratifying. It really so, has. So you tackled it yourself? No ghostwriting. No ghostwriting nice. at all. Nice. Uh, I'm work. I worked with a company. Uh, in fact, if anybody out there is contemplating writing a book but can't get a traditional publishing deal, which I couldn't, uh, a company called Scribe Media that happens to be located here in Austin, where I live. Uh, is a great company to work with on these kind of, they, they published several hundred books and they really hold your hand from beginning to end and allow you to, to focus on the things that you know, which are the, the, your subject matter and leave the, and leave the publishing part of it to them. Very cool. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a really good company and that's who I worked with to do this. Nice. And I, I do recommend the book. Um, I was actually just thinking, you know, Hollywood's made, made a couple movies about the uh, discovery of McDonald's and the creation of the dictionary Mel Gibson. What if they make a movie based on your book? <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be. Uh, I, the, the thing is, though, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the hook would be. Uh, McDonald's, the hook was Ray Kroc, right? Yep, it was. Uh, and I, 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 I saw that movie that's called The Founder. Yep. Uh, really enjoy, I really enjoyed it. If you told the story of Blockbuster, it would have to be, it would have to start with Wayne Heisinger. You'd have to uh, start with the rise of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was a phenomenon. I don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly how that story gets told, you know. Uh, the, the, one of my concerns about this book is it's, you know, it's a, it's a business story. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's, it's subject matter that a lot of people are familiar with. And I hope that people that typically don't read business books will have an interest in it because mm-hmm. I think uh, most people from that generation, Blockbuster was a part of their lives. Yep. 
uh, or, or video store of some type was a part of their lives. And this will give them a real window into what it was like. Uh, and, and really, I hope people leave it with, yeah, what, what would have happened had it been different? Would there still mm-hmm. be some around? Uh, because I, there's still a lot of people that miss it. Oh, for sure. I miss it all the time. I mean, just seeing the logo, yeah. it makes me happy just to see the logo. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the quote in the, in, the, in, the, in the introduction of the book, Quentin Tarantino goes, I, you know, he talks about the video store. He's not sure why it went away <laughs> because it served such a, 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 such a useful purpose that, you know, did it go away because Blockbuster screwed it up and the, in, and the industry in general screwed it up or because there was just no market for it? Clearly, the market was declining, but I'm not sure Blockbuster would would be gone right now if mm-hmm. it had been managed differently. Yep. And certainly, it could have been. It had everything in its favor to be Netflix instead of Reed Hastings being Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blockbuster, as I tell the story in the book, if you think about the amount of information they had about movie watching hundreds of millions of rentals and they knew who watched them and when, and they knew in-depth demographic information on all those people about as deep as they wanted to go. Uh, that was much more information than the Hollywood studios ever had because they, their, their research was, was, you know, screenings and, and, and taking polls outside of theaters, very archaic. They didn't, you know, it was, it was, Blockbuster, they had specific information on what every demographic group watched and when. If anybody was in a position to have figured out what was going to come next, it was Blockbuster. Hmm. But their lack of interest in why people watch things, I think, just opened the door to somebody like Reed Hastings with Netflix, who was a, was a math walk. And just he, he basically just followed the customer. He figured out that if he did it right, they would watch old movies and be happy. And they're still doing it for the yep. most part. Yep. If you go to, if you go to, you know, any of the streaming services out there now, including Netflix, so much of the content is old. Yeah. Uh, and all the years, I guess that was my, the most frustrating thing for me because we built our stores on that basis. We rented new releases and we rented just as many of them as Blockbuster did, but we also rented the old stuff. And that was, that was a part of the business that Blockbuster never did understand. And it made them really vulnerable to somebody like Netflix, uh, who did, uh, and that, that was, it was very frustrating for me to watch that happen. Do you remember, um, some of your best renters when you had your store? Well, uh, yeah. In fact, you'd have people that would, uh, you know, they, they would, they would, be in the store almost every day. Hmm. In fact, in some, in some cases, uh, you know, you're really heavy renters. It was like, Hey, maybe you should get a life you know, instead of, <laughs> instead of being in here <laughs> almost every day. It was, but, but there was a lot, there was a lot of people that, uh, you know, would spend an hour or two uh, in one of our stores almost every day, uh, because they li- they lived movies and that was where you did it. Yep. You know, it was, it was, just to be in a store surrounded by 20,000 movies and all the other people around you that, that, that loved it, including the employees and, and the other uh, geeky friends of theirs that would come in and talk movies all day. It was, you know, it was a, 
it was a community atmosphere, really. It was like a chat room nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Except live and face to face. And and uh, the great thing is is that is that you know from a from a business perspective, it was so great to run stores because it attracted people that loved movies mm-hmm. and and it was it was a fun environment to work in so it was easy to put together teams of people that were really interested in movies and that just made the experience that much better for for customers well it's definitely a shame we lost that because blockbuster is one of my favorite companies uh toys R Us is another one unfortunately but i guess they can't stick around forever yeah, I wish it. I wish it could have been different. I wish. Uh, I wish Blockbuster would have figured out the streaming part of it and um, and built that business on the you know with the benefit of everything that they would have learned off of off of renting DVDs. But uh, mm-hmm. it just it wasn't to be. And you know, uh, there there's there's a long history of companies that didn't transition to what was next. Blockbusters. Blockbusters among thousands of <laughs> Circuit City. So it's, so, so it's so it's not like they did something that nobody no that hasn't been done. Exactly. It's it's really really hard. Uh, I think you know to to see what's coming next and, yep. and to be and to be there before uh, you know a Reed Hastings was was there. Yep. But but what and if they'd have done everything perfect, it would have still been hard. Uh, we I know that, but. Uh, I guess the frustrating thing to me was I felt like they didn't even give themselves a chance yep. because uh, early in the process, Netflix knew more about movie watching than Blockbuster did <laughs> and used that and used their knowledge of the business to beat who should have been the king of that. But instead of, instead of Blockbuster understanding the business and, and, and running their stores like a Blockbuster, they started trying to be Netflix in a blockbuster store. And that was literally impossible to do. It, was, you, it couldn't be done. It was a completely different business model. And as, as, as blockbuster in the early 2000s started, they finally were forced to take Netflix seriously. And every answer that they had to try to beat Netflix, all they were doing is playing Netflix's game. They went to subscription, which was very difficult to do in a store where the customer got to pick instead of Netflix got to pick. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the way Netflix made the whole business model work was that was the queue system and they, they got to pick what they sent you. Now they, ha- they had to send you uh, what you wanted eventually, but it might not be exactly when you wanted it. Yeah. That was a weakness of their part. It was a weakness that they couldn't get any releases to you the first week or two when they were out for the most part. Those were all things that Blockbuster could have exploited. And then that's what we did in our stores. But instead, by the time Netflix became uh, big enough that they were really having an impact, Blockbuster had fewer new releases available in the stores than in the, history, in the, in the entire history of the company. And they had the worst availability of catalog movies in the history of the company. Hmm. Literally, and I saw the numbers. I knew, and uh, it was so. So everything that they needed to be doing in order to keep Blockbuster strong in the face of of Netflix and then later Redbox, they had weakened the stores. So it was it was inevitable. I mean, I I knew in 
I knew in 2005 when Blockbuster decided to eliminate late fees, I knew that was the end. That was it because you could not run a rental business not knowing when your movies were coming exactly. back. Exactly, yep. And, and, and I know that, 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 that late fees were kind of a scourge to people, particularly the way Blockbuster managed them. Uh, but the fact is, it's no different than going to Avis Rent-A-Car. You can't keep the car as long as you want <laughs> and not have to pay for it. You have to take it back or you're gonna get an extra yep. charge. It's just, that's the way it works. It was the same way in a video store, and it could have been it could have been managed in such a more positive way rather than eliminating them. But when they eliminated them, they completely lost control of their inventory. And I knew right then that was five years before they filed bankruptcy. I knew right then that was it. It was huh. over, unless they changed. There was no way they were going to survive. Mm -hmm. They could not afford to put enough product in the store when they didn't know when it was coming back. You know, that's when I knew that it was done. And and then we were just. Of course, we, we ran our store for another 18 years after that. Wow. But uh, Blockbuster filed bankruptcy, of course, in 2010. And even though they didn't close the last store until 2014 after Dish, of all people, had bought them, uh, you know, it was, it was inevitable. Well, that's a shame, but I guess you wouldn't have your book if they were still together now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd lot rather be still in the business. Exactly. It, it it ended before it's time. Yeah. And where can people find the book? It's, it's, uh, you know, it's on Amazon. It's, it's actually there now. Uh, as I'm learning, Amazon kind of runs the show in this. Uh, most books <laughs> get bought, bought on Amazon now and it's there. It's in Kindle, it's in Kindle uh, paperback and hardback. Oh, awesome. And it, and it will also be available just about anywhere else books are sold online. Uh, over the next over the next week or two, it'll be available everywhere. Very nice. And uh, remains to be seen if it'll wind up physically in bookstores. Might might not. Hopefully it does. But uh, you know, almost all books are sold online, so uh, it'll be anywhere anybody's looking for a book online. Well, very cool, and I, I do recommend it highly. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. Of course, yeah. I'm gonna definitely finish that up to hear because you said it gets better, and, and it's already pretty awesome as it is. So if it gets better, I need to keep reading it. Well, that's great to hear. Most people that have read it tell me it gets better as it goes okay. because it gets you know you're you're barely into the Netflix part. Yep, and, exactly. Uh, and then you know most people don't know that Redbox got was started by McDonald's. <laughs> So that's something that's something you'll find out too. <laughs> you know, I do remember when McDonald's used to sell VHSs in the store, like for like five bucks more, you can get filled that's dreams. That's right. That's <laughs> boy, I remember that. That wasn't a very popular move. No, it wasn't. I mean, I bought a couple movies. I think I got Back to the Future and Filled of Dreams. I think those yeah. are the two that I bought. <laughs> they did that. This well, the studios were behind that. They thought they could. They could. Uh, that was another one of their ways of trying to weaken video stores. I think that's oh, another that's thing. That, I think that's another thing that people will learn in the book is yeah. that the studios fought the rental business from the beginning. Yeah, they tried to, I was they reading tried that, to stop it before it even started. I was reading that part and I was like, you know what? I thought studios liked people watching their videos at home, but no, I guess not. Because I do remember no. Walt Disney doing interviews and he was always for putting stuff on TV, but other studios were so against it because they wouldn't go to the theaters to watch the movies. But Walt Disney's like, no, I'm going to put them on the TV because there's more of an audience on TV. So it makes sense that the studios wouldn't like people like watching their movies at home. 
they wanted they wanted total control of it. Uh, and and what they learned was is that you know back back then it was before before video, you know you'd have your theatrical run and eventually you know we stand around and we wait for it to show up on network television, yeah. complete with all the commercials. Yep. Uh, and that was the cycle. What the studios found out is the business was much, much larger. The demand for their product was exponentially larger than they ever dreamed. And, and that's what the video stores taught them. And this proliferation of movies everywhere all began with video stores. Had the, had the studios had their way, number one, the VCR would have been illegal. And it only was not illegal because of a five to four decision by the Supreme Court. Otherwise, it would not even been legal. And then they, after that, they tried to, to outlaw the video store. Uh, there, there, was a, there was a bill before Congress to, to, that would have outlawed the video store wow. in the 80s. Uh, but by then, kind of the train had left the station and Congress never voted on it. So that's what, that's what made the video store legal. And uh, it had been really built, the industry had been built largely by entrepreneurs, many of whom were undercapitalized. And that's what paved the way for a guy like Wayne Heisinger to come in and just take over the business. Uh, because he knew how to raise money and how to ramp up a company faster than anybody in the, in the business at that time. And he just took it over. Well, all right, Alan, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, anything else you wanted to add about the book? Um, well, we covered a lot. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that, I don't want to give away too much more. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great story. I, I think, uh, I hope people find it interesting. So. I hope so, too. I really do. I hope so, too. Hopefully you get a good turnout of people wanting to read the book because it is a great book so far. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I enjoy visiting with you about it. All right. Yeah, me too, man. appreciate your time. And very fascinating. It really is very fascinating. Well, let me know. When you finish it, let me know if it got better <laughs> or got worse or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks so much for your time. You take care, hey, all right? Thanks a lot. Right. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.